Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Scarlett Russell, entertainment editor at the Sunday Times Style, and welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle. In this podcast, I speak to a range of female entrepreneurs who turn their side hustle into a thriving business. You can get the latest episodes straight to your device by subscribing through Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you indulge your podcast habit. While you're there, please give us a rating and share us with your friends, family, and followers. Today, I have two guests joining me, and together they built one of the most sought-after fashion brands in the country. Best friends Orla McCloskey and Henrietta Ricks founded Rixo in 2015 on a shoestring budget, no investment, fresh out of university, very little experience. Five years on, and their standout dresses in bold patterns and colourful prints have become synonymous with the cool girls' wardrobe. Flooding influencers' Instagram feeds and celebrities from Sandra Bullock to Kylie Minogue have worn the designs too. You've probably got one hanging up in your own wardrobe. Orla, 31, from Dungiven in Northern Ireland, and Henrietta, 28, from Cheshire, met at the London College of Fashion. They became flatmates after they graduated. Then Orla went off to work at ASOS while Henrietta travelled before they came up with the idea of Rixo. How on earth did they make their seed of an idea into such a success? And what mistakes did they make along the way? I joined them both a few weeks ago during lockdown on Zoom to find out. That's Henrietta speaking first. Well, hello, Henrietta and Orla. Thank you so much for joining us for Secrets of the Side Hustle. It's nice to be here. It's really incredible what Rick's have done. It's kind of the it brand, it feels like. So I'm really excited to get into all of your success. The two of you met at the London College of Fashion in 2010, and you were both studying fashion management, I understand. What is that? Explain to me a little bit about what, what you were learning there. It's difficult when you leave A-levels and you know you want to get into fashion, but you're also really interested in like the business side of it and how the actual industry works. Yeah, I felt if you're always creative and you've always got design, that will never leave. And I thought I'd rather spend three, four years actually understanding the business side of it. And I, I think I wanted my design to be not necessarily more commercial, but in a sense, I wanted to kind of think about the consumer and how people actually feel and how you want to wear things and just how you want to shop. That's where we both met. So I remember literally the first day when Orla came into the lecture hall and she had a gorgeous vintage bag and I'd always loved vintage and Orla and I just clicked straight away. Um, so that's kind of how like our friendship started. Rixo launched in 2015. Were you both working full time in other jobs 
kind of before then and after you graduated? Did you both have full-time jobs at that point? I was at ASOS and I'd been working, so I'd been there for just under a year before we set Rexel fully up. And Henrietta, you'd been away traveling a bit and stuff, but had worked at ASOS in her placement year. And then I remember, so I moved back to London and all of us still full-time at ASOS. So we'd spend our like weekends literally just 24-7 on Rexel and then I'd pick all her up sometimes after work and then we'd like spend because we lived together and stuff so we'd come back in the evenings every week evening was spent on Rixo. And it was like a really hard time like kind of trying to balance that first few months of trying to like work at the weekends and work at nights and then work full time in like a new job as well. Ola handed in her notice at ASOS and I remember also you told your buyer didn't you? You said oh I think I'm gonna good luck with that one. <laughs> they were just like and to be honest like it is like that in fashion like it's such a fickle industry. It's not like you're buying a house and you're going to redo it up and you think you might make this amount of money. It's very like subjective to how people actually like your stuff. And I think we were just like really careful with costs. Like it wasn't as if we didn't have jobs and then we were still keeping up our student lifestyle where we probably spent more as students because you'd have more free time. You'd go out for, I don't know, brunch at the weekend or you'd go to an art gallery or you'd be out clubbing at weekends. I mean, we literally were 24-7 ricks we always laugh that we now we go no, for coffee in London. We've done the business plan, right? And then we were like, so how much money do you think we'll like spend on clothes and stuff? And we were like, well, we're not buying anything. And then I was like, well, we might need a few pair of like pants and knickers. So let's put in five pounds a month for that. <laughs> and like, honestly. And we were just really strict with ourselves. And the biggest investment we did at the start was our camera because we were like, well, we need to take flat shots of the products to send out to press and we're going to figure out how to do all those ourselves. So all the learned Photoshop, which has been like, genius to this day and then our laptops as well and that was kind of the only expense I mean even now when we go for a coffee don't we just laugh because I'm like oh god four years ago we would never have like put a five pound coffee order like oh. or something and even now to this date like it would drive me mad if I was to see something go through the business and I was like god that is such a waste every single cost goes through either myself or Ola because we don't want investors if we can try and keep it as female-led and controlled by the two of us, um, that's kind of something we feel really passionate about and being able to make our own decisions and have full control of what goes on. So where did the actual idea for Rixo come from? What was the seed of the idea? We both loved vintage and we just always find like really unusual pieces and like vintage fairs and stuff, but there'd be something like it's a really nice print or color or fabric, but the shape's not really right or the shape was nice, but it was in the wrong size because everything's a one-off piece. Mm. And I think it was like wanting to bring something to the kind of contemporary floor that you'd actually want to spend your money on and wear. There's such a like misconception of not being able to wear nice clothes, going to work or in a normal weekday without having to basically feel like you're dressed going to a wedding or something. And I think that's what we want to do is make the brand not wear the customer, but the customer almost fit it into their lifestyle and wear it in a way that suits them. And they actually feel like really nice about themselves. It's so true that with vintage, you know, remember about 10 years ago, there's a whole vintage revival. Everyone was buying vintage all the time. It was so popular. But it's exactly as you say, I always found that nothing ever fit. A lot of it was quite expensive. The cheap stuff was okay, but then you'd have to spend time finding a tailor. And it was just for me, I was like, I was busy. I wouldn't have time to go and find a tailor when I could probably just go to Topshop and get a dress. I think that's exactly it. Like Ola and I would get an absolute buzz from finding something at a vintage fair. I mean, it's our dream weekend. Like whenever we go on holidays together, we will research flea markets or anything like that. But I think back in 2015, we'd go to the contemporary floor 
And we found on the contemporary floor that there were maybe like logo or printed t-shirts, but it was all so expensive for what you were actually getting as a consumer. So you'd be buying something at three, four hundred pounds and it wasn't silk. It was like a jersey printed t-shirt. And we were like, God, at Vintage Fairs, we're finding gorgeous like silk printed dresses that are we can pick up for 70, 80 pounds. And they've lasted, I don't know, with the from the 1920s, like the 70 years old and they're still absolutely gorgeous. We were like, there must be something that we can do. And also, I think from our time at ASOS and in our buying careers, even though it was such a small stint, I was on the day dresses department at ASOS. They'd get a vintage sample, recreate something, but then to get it right down into price, they'd take off every single element that was lovely about it. And I just thought, God, if you could put a little bit more onto that cost price, you'd have such a gorgeous garment. You found that there was this demand, clearly. But also, I'd say it's quite a big thing to launch. You know, the the women's fashion market is competitive. So how did you find that there was a gap to actually launch something? Were you very confident about that? I think for both of us, Nolz would agree as well, that there was never really a plan B. We just always thought, this is our plan A. We've told our family we're doing it now. Our friends know we're doing it. We've quit our jobs. This is where we're putting all our energy. For us, we didn't even really know that the print side of things was like a massive thing. And we actually started doing the prints because my first year at university, Richard Quinn was in my halls and we just kind of became friends. And I had messaged him when I started this and he was going to do your first ever prints. Wow. And he was okay. just like really busy and he was in his like final year of doing his like masters. And I said, hey, we're just going to have to do this ourselves. <laughs> we were so nervous. And we went to the British Library and like got inspiration from some old like hair books and stuff. And we literally just sat that weekend and printed. And I remember thinking, what is going on with our life? I don't know what we're doing. I've just quit my job. And we were sat in the flat just like painting. Yeah, the best thing we ever done. And we just believed in the product so much and that there was a gap in the market. It wasn't as if we were trying to flog a dead horse. It was something we were so passionate about and really believed that if it was in the stores, it would sell. And touch wood, it did. That would be an understatement. Henrietta and Orla had spotted a gap in the market and they were confident in their idea. They had some sample dresses made and now came the hard part, building their business up from the ground. What was first? So we launched our own website um, and we just thought we were going to be a direct-to-consumer brand straight away because it's Orla and I have always been really like keen about making sure that we have direct communication with our customer and understand exactly what they want. We met our actual web developer through Gumtree and we met him in Whole Foods and we had a meeting with him. Gumtree was like our best friend back in the start. (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) We were like, we need a web developer. Where do we go? We don't know anyone. So we found it and we just clicked straight away. So this guy called Josh, who we met from Gumtree, built our website. It was really basic and we didn't put much money into it. It was kind of just a really clean e-commerce shop where you could purchase the, the pieces. And then with our samples, once we had them made, we then just went round to press and Ola and I literally spent like the whole summer with our suit bags and we'd get the tube and we'd go around. I remember it been absolutely boiling in the summer in London and we would had all these suit bags and then we'd wait in the reception. We'd be scanning out of different press offices, met everyone. And then they say to us, well, how much are you retailing it at? And have you got a flat shot? And we were like, what is a flat shot? We had no idea. Or we need a cut out image. We'll try and put it in this week, this weekend's paper. And I remember it was Hannah Almasi actually that we met at Grazia and she was amazing. She just said, well, if you get me an image, I'll try and put it in this week's, um, this week's magazine. And we were like, oh, so then we spent to get, we literally held hands the whole journey of the first two years that we'd go together. We'd, we actually sellotaped the pieces against the plain wall in our flat. All that took the picture, then kind of photoshopped out the sellotape. Then we sent it across in a JPEG. 
Um, and then we'd both go to the local news agents. <laughs> the, like, the landlord was like, what, why is your salt? No, I'm like, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the press started to slowly, slowly pick up just yeah. really organically. We'd start to see like every week we'd be like, right. Okay. This is our aim to try and get another flat shot in another magazine. So, I mean, we literally had Excel lists for press where we'd be like, we want to get in touch with every single journalist. We're going to either ring them, send them an email, DM them try and meet them face to face and then we had that exact same model that we had for press with stylus as well so we had a tab at the bottom called stylus and it was like whichever stylist we could try and meet did anyone say no or was everyone happy to meet you it was more wholesale i was the best the press were actually the best mm-hmm. we would have press coming back being like this is actually really this is actually really exciting to see because they were like how oh, you've got these gorgeous dresses and they're silk and they're just beautiful and then you take it to a store who, you know, had nothing similar to compare it to. We're like, mm, don't think it's quite right. And it was a bit disheartening because you kind of felt like you had to have the press and all the big stores for them to kind of go, oh, yeah, they're verified as being good to spend my budget on. We got like lookbooks printed and me and Henry had I never went out. And my twin sister was living in London at the time. So she'd go in nights out and she'd be like, right, don't worry. I'll spread the word that you guys can stay in and like work, whatever. Oh. So she'd take the lookbooks or a handbag. And then she'd send us like drunk photographs of like the lookbook, like in a bar and clap them up beside <laughs> the and be like, everyone's loving Rick. So and I'm like, basically you're drunk and you're showing girls in the toilets. <laughs> it's so funny. You're making all these calls. You're approaching people. It's kind of ballsy considering you were not, too long out of uni you know people start brands that are much older much more experienced and still don't have that kind of sass and forethought to go and do that where, where do you think that comes from I think probably having the both of us together it's like if I didn't have confidence I would have been confidence in Henrietta and then vice versa so I think I we think kind of use each other as the as the buffer <laughs> yeah I think we're both de- I, I would never describe either or or I as like confident people because we've never really put ourselves forward as kind of like the forefront of the brand we've always kind of let Rixo do the talking and the product and the brand but I think together like Ola said like if you're going into a meeting or you're going up into the elevator and at the start I remember thinking oh my god we're meeting this fashion journalist you would be really nervous like we'd be so nervous and we'd be like you speak first in this one or I did more speaking in the last one so and it was like that and I, I it really was like that I think you kind of egg each other on and like Ola said, mm. like you don't have time to think about a plan B, you've just got to get on with it. Those Excel sheets Henrietta mentioned really paid off. Not so much for the wholesalers, most of whom still weren't biting, but it wasn't long before top celebrity stylists like Angie Smith, known for working with stars like Holly Willoughby and Laura Whitmore, were using their dresses. remember one week we all of a sudden got like a couple of hundred followers and at the start that was massive when we only ever had like 200 or 300 followers and then it was because someone had worn it and tagged it and someone else had comment and then customers would then automatically message us and say oh I love that shirt is it yours like they'd want to know more about the brand and we had that communication with them straight away so definitely we saw like a big spike when people wore it and like Ola said it was the stylist and the press that really supported the brand at the start. We launched our product basically mid-September during fashion week and we didn't really get our, our um, wholesalers until at least six seven months later. We were emailing them every day and a lot of them were just like mm, not really sure not really sure we've got a few but not to the way that 
it then became. What were the biggest celebrities who really got behind you initially? Millie McIntosh wore our kind of orangey coral camellia oh, over okay. Fashion Week and she was the first kind of person that wore that we've seen like the seals change. When it comes to celebrities like Selena Gomez, Taylor Swift and people like that, it, it comes through the stylists. That's sometimes just really organic and just a DM where someone... You would just DM like Selena Gomez, a stylist, and say, hey, we've got this. Yeah. yeah. And actually, it was a really quick way because I know even when I'm like, everyone gets so many emails that it can come a bit like, oh, another email. Whereas I think mm. when you're on Instagram and you're in the mode to find and discover something, first of all, you don't feel like you've got to be like, oh, I'll get back to that leader and write like a proper email. You're just kind of like, oh yeah, it looks really good. And it's a quick reply. Let's talk now about the wholesale aspect. Your brand's getting bigger now. It's getting a lot higher profile. So then do you go back to wholesalers? We knew that we had to create another collection almost pretty much straight away to go to um, Paris and show the collection. And we didn't know how wholesale works. So we discovered who were all the um, all the wholesale agencies and rang them. So say we've seen some brands we like, we go on their website and then look at who represents them and then look at those agencies and who they represent and then build up a bit of a picture of like who the best ones that we should really be sitting alongside in the showroom. We went to go meet some of them face to face and then it was Polly King actually. So in, I think it was Jan 2016, we met Polly King and we just said, we met Jazz, who was like the women's wear director at the time. And we just said, look, we're a new brand. We've got a collection. We want to bring it to Paris. We were so naive. We said, how does it work? And she said, okay, well, we go on these dates. You can either rent a space or we can do the selling for you. And then Ola and I obviously didn't have the money and we didn't want the agencies taking a cut. We really wanted to sell the product ourselves and be there. So we went to Paris for the first time with our collection. And I mean, it was probably the hardest week ever. It was so disheartening because wholesalers from all over the world. So you'd have Italian stores, German stores, stores from Russia, stores from America. Like it was such a global week. They'd come in around the showroom. Basically, it's kind of like a big two floor building and all different brands have a different corner of the room and you showcase your collection and buyers come by. They were like, Rixo? Like They had no idea what it was. We were just really naive, went into our first showroom and just soaked up everything, asked everyone questions, asked the people that worked their questions, asked the other brands their questions, like, how do you deliver? When do you deliver your spring, summer? And then it was just really organic, wasn't it, Ola? Yeah. Were they happy to talk to you? Yeah. They were? Oh, great. Oh, that's nice. I don't know. I always get the impression of like kind of, it can be quite competitive. I think there was definitely, but... Ola, there was definitely a lot of inquisitive. They were like, who the hell are these two <laughs> girls from London that don't know when they're delivering their product? They don't know the sell, <laughs> the markup. They don't, they're asking us questions. Shouldn't they know this? I think they were all kind of a little bit intrigued. We actually didn't sell that much when we were in Paris. We came back really disappointed and like, oh, it's not good enough and just felt really deflated. But when we came back, we had the meeting with Netta Porter in their head office in London and they bought the collection and it was like sold out in the first week. <laughs> so what? Like, well, <laughs> and then the next season, we then went to Paris again, like four months later. And then the first question buyers would ask and be like, okay, I've not heard of the brand before. Where are you stocked? And then if you say Netta Porter, it kind of automatically gave them the kind of confidence mm-hmm. okay if they're buying into it we'll actually give you five minutes and have a flick through the rails so we'd be like oh like last time we had one minute from them this time we've got five minutes but it was the same product we showed Netta Porter we showed everyone else so I think it just goes to show that like you shouldn't be disheartened when someone looks at your product and if they don't have the verification that you're in this store and stuff that's sometimes more on them than it is necessarily your product yeah, definitely. And then it was kind of a snowball from there, really. 
within a year or two, you've got to control your production and actually you then, the tables turn a little bit and you can pick and choose to some extent which stores you want to be in. From day one, we've always seen Rixo as being a global brand and not just a UK brand. So it's always been our focus to make sure we have international wholesale accounts that represent Rixo in the correct manner. So having the best stores in Belgium, the best stores in Germany, in Spain, in America. So we've always wanted it to be global from day one. As soon as you wholesale it to someone, you then lose a tiny element of control as to how the product's going to be sold, how it's going to be merchandised. So I think then distribution then becomes a massive part of the role and in building a brand. One of the hardest things I think I found anyway was the fact that there was no middleman between Aura and I, who are obviously the the founders of the brand and it was our brand and our baby and we were so passionate about and then the wholesalers as well who they're obviously passionate about their stores like most brands would have an agency sell it negotiate terms negotiate everything whereas Aura and I we didn't we couldn't afford to have that agency from the start do you know what Taylor would you not agree that we actually learned so much from doing the wholesale ourselves to start off with like oh 100% thank god we did because I'd be standing in front of the buyer and they'd be saying, I don't like something. Then I'd be going at night changing it. And like to get that quick of a reaction, imagine you're an agency and you've got to like go through someone else and then back to the brand CEO and then back down to the design director and then back down to the design team. There was just none of that. It was just like, I was like, oh yeah, I'll change it right now. I've got my computer. <laughs> you know, it was like that quick. So I think for anyone, like a huge piece of advice, even if you don't say you don't have the time or you have investors and you do have an agency, just be there and listen to what the buyers are saying. Fixing a price point on your product is a huge decision. Too high and you could price yourself out of the market, too low and you could undervalue the very thing you've tried so hard to make. With Rixo, a scarf is around £65, while their dresses range from £250 to £400. It's not cheap, but when it comes to luxury, it is on the more affordable end of the scale. So how do the Rixo duo decide how pricey their products should be? You could not buy a silk dress for £300. Like, you just couldn't. If you went on Ned Porter and put in, like, silk dress, there was literally nothing at that price point. And as much as sometimes you do your market research and you try and then, like, fit in with your competitors, we were like, why are they that price? They shouldn't be because I'd met this really good supplier and I understood the production side of it. And I was like, where are these prices coming from? They didn't make sense. There was no reason for them to be that price other than the fact that with their business model, they were spending way too much in marketing and actually the consumer was paying for it in some way or other. Like a lot of people don't have two or 300 pounds every month to spend on something. And I do think that's something even with their brand that we've probably brought the price point down a little bit or not brought it down, but widened it in terms of what we offer. You know, it's that thing of you might have enough money to buy regularly or it might be that one wedding where you just want to splurge and you'll buy something. Mm-hmm. For me, that's what I think a lot of kind of working women that is their luxury. They're not going to buy a big Gucci thing. You can't afford to spend five grand on a dress, but you can get something beautiful, which is still quite aspirational. Definitely. But it's also about educating that consumer that, yeah, okay, say if the £250 dress that she's bought is a big splurge for her, okay, you can wear it to that amazing wedding occasion, but don't be afraid to then wear it for a work meeting or wear it for, you know, a really nice lunch at the weekend. Or if you're going for brunch, you can wear it with trainers. So I think that's where kind of a lot of the hard work's gone in for us to make sure that we're educating that customer. When she does spend that money, it's going to fit into her lifestyle. And it's not just a one purchase, one way. You can actually justify that purchase. I mean, what kind of um, profit are you turning a year? The brand's been profitable um, since literally year one. Like we've always been really careful of cash flow. So since the, the day we started, 
I think when people say, oh, um, it takes you three years to break even, that was something that Ola and I were a bit like, it's a bit scary for us. The money, we don't have investors, so we don't have, and we don't have an overdraft. So we didn't want to take out credit card loans and stuff. So it was something that we were like, we need to break even as a minimum. You invested six grand. So I'm guessing you made that back pretty quickly and you now employ 24 people. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going well. It's It's going well. And do you know what? Actually, we're at the point now where we've realized what we need to invest in infrastructure the right people for the right jobs um we just we're implementing an erp system which is netsuite um and that is what's erp basically controls all your inventory and all your reporting and your financials so it allows you basically to like move stock across your business in a more effective way it allows the website to be able to run more smooth that you can, you know, give the customer a better service. There's so much things that that affects. That- and even just like basic things. So when it comes to like a barcode in the business, like for five years, we've not had one single scanning electrical barcodes. Half of 2019 and half of 2020 was all about investing in Rixo internally. So when it comes to all I said, like the people and growing the team so to make sure we've got the right people in the right department, the office as well, which is a big investment for us to make sure the team's got the right space um, and environment to work in. And then also the warehouse was a big investment. And then like all I said, our system, so like NetSuite. So there's been four huge big things that we've invested in this year, but everything that we've ever earned through Rixo has gone straight back into the business. Um, and that's allowed us not to get investors on. When you were scaling up at such an extent so quickly, was it difficult to keep on top of everything? We take it day by day and week by week and we don't try and like scare ourselves and think, oh God, this time in a year, we've got to do this. And I think everything's just been taken as it comes. But I think it is huge. Like We don't have a HR department. We don't have someone that handles all that. So it is either myself or Ola. We do outsource things when we need to. So like legal advice will outsource, HR advice will outsource. Um, but it is very much Ola and I delivering those messages. And it's not like, oh, you've got a problem with your holidays. Here's the HR department. It's very much like, come to Ola and I. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. 
Rixo manufacture their products in China and India. Nowadays, when Made in the UK is seen as such a selling point, I wanted to know the thinking behind their decision. I think the most important thing for anyone when it comes to like finding a manufacturer is actually finding someone that you invest your time in. I keep improving on fits. If I so was, how, how literally how the dress is fitting. If I was to like yeah. take something and like keep reworking on it to get the patterns right. I'm almost training the garment technicians in their factory to basically create what I'm working on in terms of blocks. And they're starting to understand our handwriting and understand what's important in terms of fit. I can't imagine having to try and do the work that I've done with like a few factories and do that with like 10 or 15, which people have all these like, it's better to spread your risk. And it's like, it is if you've got a massive team and you've got them all on board and the factories that you understand, but the most factories that I've ever worked with or even sampled with, a lot of them don't really get what I would want. So for me, I think it's a lot better to find someone regardless that they're in China or the UK, wherever it is, that it's more about them understanding what you want. We've had like an amazing relationship with them since day one. So we've been out to the factory, we can see the working conditions. It's something that is like certified um, and it's a factory that you trust. They pay the workers. It's in the local silk region. So it's something that we both feel really like confident in as well. If you were to kind of outsource to another factory, then it's kind of, you've got to start that whole process again to make sure are they ethical is everything in order? Is everything in line? Whereas we've been looking from day one that our factory is an amazing family-run factory and we've got that great communication with them. I was actually going to ask about the sustainability as well. It's it's such a huge thing now. Companies, it's not just about turning a profit. It's about how are you contributing to sustainability? What are your guidelines there? What are your what well, steps we, do you take to achieve that? One of the things that's like always been a given from the very start is where you're producing and when you're manufacturing you should essentially be trying to source your raw materials from the same country. So we're based in the Silk region and we are basically a Silk predominantly based brand. So for us, it makes sense to not be getting fabrics from Italy and then flying them to China, then fly the product back to the UK. There's things like that. There's also the element of like not trying to overproduce and like just having like masses of like units produced. It's a, it's not really, it's just driving a real like unsustainable culture, I think. And even just like the way our products come, like we don't have the products coming on like black hangers because black hangers on on every single garment is made is just plastic wastage that just get thrown mm-hmm. out. And we've done actually a project. I was in India in January and we'd been to our factories and there was these big piles of fat fabrics just like to one side. And they were saying like, this is where buyers have rejected this because there's just like color change to this or whatever. Um, and it was always gorgeous, like Indian woodblock prints. And I was like, well, drive me to where these fabrics are we made a sustainable collection like we we said we'd have the weekend off we ended up basically working all weekend picking fabrics and then like mixing and matching the fabric so I basically bought all the fabric there brought it back in a van to my factory and then just said to my factory look make what you can with this like I done that with the cads if I wanted the prints mixed and I said if that makes about 30 dresses just make 30 dresses that makes 10 dresses just make 10 dresses and Every dress is almost slightly different because of like certain colorations and stuff, but actually it makes like such a gorgeous, makes such a gorgeous collection. I'm really interested as well on how you guys work together. Um, Obviously, you know, you're really good friends. You live together. It's a lot. You have to get on really well. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for two friends who might want to start a business? Because I'll I'll be honest, I'm sure sure there's lots of times where people have tried and it's gone badly. They're probably even just out of all like, my own friends as well that I've kind of grown up with there's probably not one of them that I could say oh god do you know what I'll set up a brand with them 
Yeah. I think all and I, if anything, we've more got like a sister relationship. We just trust each other completely implicitly. It's just like another family member. It is basically just like a sister. Um, Orla's got a twin as well. So she's really close to her twin sister. So I think she's probably like, and I've become like, I almost feel like sometimes. Like twin, <laughs> so we're now like little triplets. We all look quite similar as well. I mean, we're so busy doing what we're doing and building the brand. And you get really tough days where it's hard sometimes. Like we're not experts at everything. We've never grown a brand that's a global brand and it's, it's difficult. So I think being able to rely on someone and like all I can call me or I can call her normally we're together. But I mean, during lockdown, we've been able to call each other and just be like, Oh God, what do you think of this? Or if you just have a bad day where you just like, I don't know what to say or don't know what to do in this area. So I think if anything, it's just having someone there that you completely trust. We're both there to support each other and kind of yeah. be on this journey together. And there are good days and bad days. And everything is 50-50 in terms of profit. Yeah. Yeah, completely 50-50. I mean, there's no, like, everyone says we should get some sort of, like, legal document where it's, like, 50-50 between us. But, I mean, we both just have complete trust in each other. But, yeah, it's 50-50. Is there anything you've clashed over? I actually think the one thing that Private Works Away does do so well is because there isn't, like, a divided... We usually agree, actually, on on what the final outcome is, like... If one has an idea and the other one's not up to scratch it, when we understand it, we're like, that actually makes complete sense, whatever. And we never actually have different values and what we want the brand to be. So in that way, we're quite lucky that that's probably why the DNA stays quite strong. Now time for our What She Said segment. This is based on our weekly column in style where smart and successful female titans of industry answer your career dilemmas. Here, I turn one of the questions to our guest. And the question we have for Orla and Henrietta is... I launched my own startup with little business experience. To avoid failure, I've had to grow up so much and deal with all my weaknesses, but the scrutiny is tough. How do you deal with it? Do you know what I think is a really good thing is like reading books from other people's experiences. Last year, I think it was in January, I remember I went on holidays by myself. I was like ready to take a break. I was like, I need a break. And I read like Shoe Dog and I read a few other books. And when you realize that like, the people that you maybe look up to are successful as well have went through something very similar and have felt the same way you have. There's almost like a comfort in that you can get over it and it, it's only a temporary feeling. Anyone that's been successful will have felt like that at some point. I think just to that point exactly, like always remembering that it's not easy and if it was easy that everyone else would be doing it. My brothers have set up a business as well so I'll always like whenever something's going on, they're obviously 10 years ahead of where our business is but I just say to them, oh God, what do we do at this point? Or just get a bit of advice business is business at the end of the day and when it comes to like HR issues or department issues or growing or teething problems for what's going on like you can relate with other businesses it doesn't have to be exactly within your field so reaching out and asking questions I think is always a great um, piece of advice. Up next it's throw forward every time we speak to a female entrepreneur we ask them to come up with a question for our next one this is what last week's guest Arena Okonkwo the founder of Kashmir threw forward for the Rixo girls. This is a question I sometimes ask myself. If you weren't doing the current business you're doing, what else would you be doing? I think for me, probably plan B, like, I think I'd always end up working for myself. Um, so if I wasn't doing Rixo or something, I'd love to do something in interiors, which potentially will come with Rixo in the future. Definitely Why for not? me, like, interiors um, along that line, something I'd definitely be doing if it wasn't direct fashion. Sorry, a Rixo interior is coming. Potentially. <laughs> We're just like researching and developing and just seeing what we think looks good. 
So Orla, what about you? What would you be um, doing if you weren't doing Rick's though? Well, the plan was that I'd go and be an architect. <laughs> I like love like shape and form and things like that. So I think I probably would have done something with like probably architecture. So guys, we would love for you to throw forward a question to our next guest. What would you like to know? I think I'd like to know um, for the next guest is basically like, how do you handle the growing pains of a business when you're growing quite quickly? And how do you overcome those and prepare for them? So we've heard the story of Rixo, but before we go, I have time to ask Orla and Henrietta just one last question. What does the future look like for Rixo? We really want to like stay quite agile with our business and really grow our kind of consumer base and our community within the brand. Yeah, I think it's definitely about building our consumer base and our direct to retail. So whether it becomes our physical retail stores um, and going internationally with them and opening up pop-ups globally, and then also allowing our website to be able to develop and building up a whole loyalty scheme and just talking directly to our consumer. Thank you so much. That was lovely. Thank you for your time and for the support. Really appreciate it. A huge and massive thank you to Orla McCloskey and Henrietta Ricks for joining me on Secrets of the Side Hustle and sharing their great story with tons of valuable advice. To shop the brand, head to rickso.co.uk. You can also find them on Instagram at rickso. And while you're there, you can follow me as well at Scarlet Rose Russell. And one final thing, once again, please subscribe, rate and share the series via your preferred podcast app. Next time, I'll be joined by Sam Jameson, the founder of Soapsmith. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.